The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023, as we bring you a new podcast episode. With it being Thanksgiving this week, delivering a new show so we could spend some time over the holidays with our families, unless the White Sox keep making some news. And news has been made. A couple of weeks ago, we told you on this podcast and wrote about it on SoxMachine.com that the Chicago White Sox had approached former Cardinals and Giants shortstop Paul DeYoung. Thought process was to sign DeYoung to a short-term contract so that when Colson Montgomery arrived, the White Sox would transition to whom they believe will be an impact shortstop in Montgomery. Well, on Tuesday, November 21st, John Heyman of the New York Post tweeted that the White Sox and DeYoung came to an agreement. So the White Sox have their new middle infield. They have Paul DeYoung at shortstop, and they just acquired Nicky Lopez from the Atlanta Braves. We talked about that in the previous podcast episode. So it's looking like DeYoung and Lopez is the new middle infield. So let's discuss that and ponder what's next for the Chicago White Sox. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, in our most recent podcast episode, we talked about how Chris Getz is attempting to achieve what he is laying out and what he is saying in trying to rebuild this team on the fly. Maybe we shouldn't use the word rebuild, reload, whatever we want to use in behind the word re. Whatever the White Sox are doing, he is achieving that since now with Dion in the fold, the White Sox defensively are much stronger up the middle than they were last year. Okay, so first of all, do we call you Scoops Nelson now because of the uh, <laughs> Young news, which uh, nobody credited us for? Well, Sox bloggers were good and, and people on the Sox Twitter, but yeah, did not, did not register among the, uh, the news hounds. Uh, everybody's patting John Heyman on the back, not that we're bitter. Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the ultimate picture, though, of what Getz is trying to achieve, it's funny, like there's a rollicking discussion going on at SoxMachine.com, just uh, very contentious, not among 
people because generally speaking, by and large, our readers are very friendly people, but uh, combating ideas in terms of like, you know, is it a good signing or is it an okay signing versus is this a disastrous signing? And yeah, I can see the arguments for both. Um, you know, I wrote about it in my quick little news recap, just covering that this is happening, is that it reminded me a little bit of last year, or, or sorry, two years ago with uh, when Rick Hahn signed both Larry Garcia and Josh Harrison. And it seemed like signing one guy makes sense because you're kind of uh, a utility infielder who can make contact and uh, you know run the base a little bit, knows how to play the game. That's okay. But when you sign two of those guys, you're kind of doubling down on a profile that doesn't have a whole lot of upside and also has like the capability of disappearing on you if the medium contact does not go their way oh yeah so here's lopez and the white Sox trade for him in the aaron bummer deal and i'm thinking like okay so i thought maybe it was either de young or lopez or lopez or de young was maybe free agency plan a but then lopez became available or the maybe the Braves said like okay we'll send them to you uh we we discussed all our trade opportunities at the non-tender deadline this is the best we can do for Nicky Lopez here. Have him. And then that might say like, okay, we got our glove first middle infielder. Uh, sorry, Paul, uh, good luck in your search. But to end up with both of them, I think is a little bit iffy. Yes, it does. Uh, Chris Getz does, you know, make good, I guess, on his vow to improve the middle infield. But that's a lot of like no bat guys. If you have DeYoung and Lopez in the lineup at the same time, if Corey Lee is like, a catcher getting a prominent amount of playing time, like the bottom of the order is pretty bad. Like that's, you know, it bottoms out after like number six in the order. If it even goes that far, we'll see it happens with Eloy. And then, you know, when we're talking about the heart of the order, if there is a heart of the order. Um, so that's why, like, I'm not, I don't know if I was ever bullish on DeYoung, but I got it. I think when you first reported the news that the White Sox were pursuing him, like, okay, I get it because, whether he's playing shortstop or second, you want one veteran in the middle infield who knows what he's doing. I, I think you could try to get by with like Sosa and Rodriguez. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're giving them the playing time, but if they're a mess, you're not doing them any favors and you're not doing your pitching staff any favors. So give them a veteran to play alongside, show them the ropes, help out your pitchers. Got it. But if they're both playing at the same time, like if this is their planned middle infielder and they're done, right? that's when I think like, ah, that's really... Like, to me, it would seem like Chris Getz's strategy is, let's get the games over as quickly as possible. That means, like, let's get the outs uh, as fast as we can, and let's make outs as fast as we can, and uh, everybody will be home in two hours and 25 minutes. That's kind of how it looks right now. And I guess it makes sense if you're really looking to punt 2024 and really putting all your eggs in the 2025 basket, but it is pretty, uh, it is kind of a bummer for a first, I guess not a bummer with Aaron gone, but uh, it is like a an unexciting way to for a general manager to start his first year with like, oh, we're just getting by this year. We are cutting salary. We're waiting some contracts out. And this year is more or less like, let's hope nobody gets hurt. And I guess, you know, shortening games is one way to lessen the risk of people being on the field longer than they have to. A few things. One, I think when you have new faces in the front office, especially in the position player front, because I have to imagine Chris Getz is leaning on Josh Barfield. And Getz, being charged of player development, knows what Lenin Sosa brings to the table, knows what Jose Rodriguez brings to the table. 
and Zach Remillard. If he doesn't feel confident that any of those guys should be starting games at the major league level, well, that's how he feels about them. And if Josh Barfield's backing that up, be like, yeah, based on my observations of those three, uh, they are not major league shortstops. I think that kind of squishes or squashes any case for them, like on how much major league playing time they're going to get next year. Maybe they are the 25th or 26th guys on the bench and they rotate in and out when there are injuries. But I, from moving on, I am not taking Lenin Soso, Jose Rodriguez, or Zach Remillard seriously. I'm, I'm just not. Now, what I have been told by a source is that Paul DeYoung is being advised to start learning third base. And I think that's another part of the equation here because it's so easy to look at what the White Sox plan is, is that Paul is here to cover shortstop until Colson Montgomery is ready. And by ready, he is hitting at double A and at triple A. He is healthy and his fielding with a healthier back improves vastly since the Arizona Fall League in the offseason and let's say April through May. If Montgomery does that, then we're going to see Colson Montgomery probably in the later half of 2024 start getting his reps at shortstop. And then the White Sox have what they hope is their impact shortstop internally with Colson Montgomery taking over that position 2025 and beyond. But the whole Dion having to get ready to play third base, which looking at his career numbers, he's never played in the major league level. I don't know what that says about Yohan Mikata. I think it would be smart to tell Dion to learn how to play third base because Mikata hasn't played more than 110 games since 2021. He fell short of that number this year and he didn't even play a hundred games in 2022. We always like to say if a player gets hurt, Jim, but we know better now when Yohan Mikata gets hurt and goes on the injured list and you think Colson Montgomery is ready to go. Then you can move Dion over to third base. I think Dion may have more staying power than the, the White Sox fans in the comment section at Sox Machine would like to hear uh, for this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. But I do not see this as a long-term situation at all. This is to get through the 2024 season. And as you mentioned, maybe as quickly as possible and as least impacting as possible. And I think it, it, you can make that transition. The transition would be a lot easier moving someone who's not that attached to the franchise and like Paul DeYoung, uh, then it would be like if you brought back Tim Anderson for $14 million. And if Anderson was still struggling and nobody wanted him at the trade deadline, I mean, how does that impact the clubhouse when you bring up Colson Montgomery and you supplant Montgomery over Anderson at shortstop? Like I could understand like those conversations were probably had within this new White Sox front office. Like how would this work? As far as that hypothetical, and of course, we know what direction that they ultimately went. They saved $13 million, and they probably didn't even spend all that money in acquiring Nicky Lopez and Paul DeYoung to take over the middle infield. So yes, this is a very cheap way of addressing shortstop at second base. But if you are looking for a silver lining, it's the defense, Jim. Mm -hmm. Both DeYoung and Lopez are going to bring a stronger defensive middle infield to the White Sox. That is needed. Well, I'm reminded of the uh, Pedro Grafol quote saying that uh, 
he thinks the White Sox need more players who played the game the way Chris Getz played uh, when he was like in full suck up mode and just like, well, yeah, Chris Getz is kind of getting Chris Getzy guys. Nicky Lopez yeah, is very is. Chris Getzy. Uh, you know, DeYoung, maybe because he plays shortstop, you know, more than he's a true shortstop, whereas Lopez is, well, Lopez is a true shortstop too. Like he plays a very good one. We, he was better known as a second baseman because that's where he happened to play with the Royals. But yeah, just it's it's a bunch of Chris Getzy guys right now, which is, I think, uh, very um, worrisome because like Kenny Williams was the same way. Like Kenny Williams loved multi-sport athletes who, uh, you know, with with a chip on their shoulder, with like, you know, strong personalities. And um, so like there there is a case of like everybody feeling like, you know, the the, the perfect player is the guy I wanted to be. Uh, the, or the best possible player I could have been. And so, like, this is something to be watching out for if you're trying to learn Chris Getz's habits. Um, also, you know, you, you saying that uh, Montgomery taking uh, over for Anderson directly kind of remind me of, like, Tim Anderson taking over for Jimmy Rollins, uh, like kind of the passing of the torch there a little bit. So there is, uh, you know, I, I think in this case, yeah, DeYoung is disposable. You know, it's a good situation for him because, like, kind of like last year, He'll find takers because there's usually teams can use a middle infield glove who can occasionally hit a homer and DeYoung does that. And uh, hopefully it doesn't go as poorly as it did for him with the uh, Blue Jays and Giants last year where he had a, a higher OBP or a higher batting average in OBP and they both started in the low ones. <laughs> so that's a, that's pretty dreadful. But yeah, it just it's it, there are a lot of uh, signs here, especially like if he is playing third before Montgomery comes up like if it's a case where it's like they somehow find a taker for Moncada so DeYoung's playing third Lopez is playing short and then like Sosa or whoever's playing second like then it's even kind of worse because you could probably find like a you know Heimer Candelario or somebody else that's like more interesting and more promising use of that position even in trades uh than you could at the shortstop level so it's uh yeah I, I think the White Sox have not entirely painted themselves into a corner here by like locking up glove first guys so soon, but I can understand the apprehension of being like, oh, this is going to be really a low upside off season. If, uh, you know, they're not even like exploring blocked prospects or guys who are non-tendered or, um, you know, through the trade markets, uh, like a Dylan Cease. Let's see how we solve that position with what Dylan Cease brings back. If they trade him or Eloy Jimenez, if they trade him, like, uh, you know, hopefully, and I, I don't see this being the case, but like, between DeYoung and Lopez, one of them guy, yeah, one of them guys, that's good grammar. One of those guys is a utility infielder type, like insurance in case Moncada gets hurt or in case, uh, you know, something weird happens at second base. But plan A is Moncada third, DeYoung, I guess, at shorts, and then Lopez as a jack of all trades, uh, caddy for a young second baseman. And that would actually be okay. But I think like if it is DeYoung and Lopez and then Getz is kind of like, you know, considering it done like and, and turning his attention to everything yeah. else. And I think that will be pretty disappointing for as much playing time as it could offer at those positions. Because even if Montgomery is going to be the guy, th that's still a three months of playing time that you give to somebody with more upside and probably more trade potential as well if things went well. Yeah, I don't know how viable it is for the White Sox to try and trade Yohan Makata. Again, it's $24 million this year. There's a huge trust factor in his ability 
to play 75% of a season, not just play 150 plus games. Just like, can you play 75% of a regular season, Yohan? And you're not getting any younger, dude. You know, he's starting Mm -hmm. to exit out of his prime years and not taking advantage of his youth in which you would, I think the White Sox wanted to, to see that. And Mikata's inability to play full regular seasons is part of the reason why Kenny Williams and Rick Hans plan failed and they're unemployed and Chris Getz is the, the general manager. So I, I'm I'm still certain Mikata's going to be the starting third baseman. But if Mikata does have a strong first half and you come up to the all-star break and the White Sox are way out of it and a team wants to take on and you on Mikata and improve their third base situation, then that's where I could see Dion shifting over from short to third. And then you give August and September playing time to Colson Montgomery so he can get his feet wet. So then you feel a little bit more certain and he understands what he needs to improve upon before he takes on his first full regular season of the major leagues in 2025. I think that would be like a great result for the White Sox front office with the way that they're thinking right now. For Paul DeYoung, before we get into other hypotheticals, because I could also hear people screaming, especially from the comments section, Jim. Well, you could have acquired a shortstop if you traded Dylan Cease. We'll get to that in a moment. But Dan Zaborski, our best friend over from Fangraphs, posted on Twitter the Zips projected. So the next five, actually six seasons of Paul DeYoung. And in 2024, the 50th percentile projection for Paul DeYoung is a 211 batting average, a 279 on base percentage, slugging 388 over 394 at bats, hitting 18 home runs with 16 doubles and an OPS plus of 82. So that means he would be 18% below league average and his war total would be 1.1, a very low war total. But that is unfortunately like a one and a half win improvement from what the White Sox had at shortstop last year. And Jim, I know you keep saying this. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is an improvement, but it's an improvement from the worst to very bad. (laughs) And that's that's kind of what this signing is. I mean, technically speaking, the White Sox have improved at shortstop from what they got from Tim Anderson last year. And, of course, that introduces the whole debate of, well, maybe Tim Anderson would have bounced back and maybe that would be a more worthwhile bet uh, than signing someone like Paul DeYoung. Uh, We don't know Mm -hmm. the terms yet. We don't know how much money Paul DeYoung is getting. Um, But I have been told that DeYoung, and I think this has also been reported, that DeYoung has his physical on Monday and the announcement will be made at Guarantee Rate Field as he'll be visiting the stadium with his friends and family after Thanksgiving. So we'll probably get something more official in the upcoming days from the White Sox, but he will be at the stadium next week. So two things. One, do you want to guess what his contract is? Do you know it? No, I mean, like, I'm, I'm like, want to put out guesses and like be hilariously wrong about him. If I don't we... know. Like say one year, 5 million. Yeah. I was thinking like 5.5, something like okay. that. So, so when you include Nikki Lopez's projected arbitration total from MLB trade rumors, which I think is like three point nine million, mm-hmm. the White Sox are spending nine nine and a half million dollars on their starting middle infield, and they'll probably get what they pay for. Uh, but, yeah, which is yeah. more than one war, right? Yeah. One war is like eight million dollars right now. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. Um, I think my other concern with this, the way they've gone about it, is. 
it does set them up to be like, I guess if Tim Anderson bounces back with another team, it does invite a lot of second guessing because they haven't used that playing time for somebody with more upside. Like I'm thinking like, you know, and, and we're talking about this as though the off season is set, but let's say the, let's speak of this in terms of like, say that there isn't another shortstop coming in a trade or something like that. So this is their middle infield. Um, if they have DeYoung and they have Lopez and you're hoping for like one win above replacement, it does, you know, if Anderson comes back with the angels or whatever team he signs with and like posts a three win season at second base, it's very easy to say the white Sox, like, why did you not bring him back when, you know, you got nothing out of DeYoung and Lopez, you didn't get trade fodder out of them. Whereas like, say in a trade where they, you know, acquire, Joey Ortiz from the Orioles in a package for Dylan Cease. That's that's a popular one in the offseason plan project. Like that's a case where if Ortiz comes and he's not quite hacking it, you'd at least say, well, it was a worthwhile use of those plate appearances, even if Anderson did outplay him. Like uh, we, you know, we went with the upside option and and the one that offered the most the best combination of production, team control, and payroll savings and it didn't work out whereas this it's like there is payroll savings there is some defense uh maybe quite a bit of defense if everybody holds their ground but just the big picture upside and making the most out of these plate appearances really isn't there and can invite some easy scrutiny and second guessing of like well why don't you just bring back anderson and the question there is like well we were looking to cut a lot of money which i think is uh yeah, that's, I think, what fans don't want is just like cutting money for money's sake and just providing nothing instead because like the uh, value of losing games, tanking completely is really uh, not what it used to be thanks to the new draft rules, uh, the lottery rules. So like there isn't even that anymore. Like chase all the losses. Like that's not quite there. So if you're looking for an entertaining product, this probably isn't going to be it and doesn't really offer a whole lot of upside for that. So if Anderson just continues to decline, then like everybody will forget about it and nobody will remember like just that this was an argument that was made in November and December. But uh, for as long as like this is the middle infield and as long as Anderson remains unsigned, like there will be a, a wondering like, why didn't they just go, you know, one more year with the guy they knew and the guy who could be like a four win player just a couple of years ago? That's a great question. And my response to that question is, I don't think the White Sox had the coaching staff to help Tim Anderson bounce back. Yeah. Like, I think he needs to change his scenery. So in your hypothetical, if he goes to Anaheim and works with Ron Washington, I would say congratulations to Ron Washington and his coaching staff. You could do what the White Sox could not. <laughs> for the and second time. Ultimately, that would be the yeah. that would be the best for Tim Anderson, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not that I'm trying to be optimistic. I mean, this is more like, here, I've, this is what I'm hearing. These sources seem to know what's up. This information becomes true. This is what the White Sox are thinking. So it's like news delivery. Yeah, this is not a very exciting team up the middle. And I, I think we, we have been saying it from the get-go. Like, mm-hmm. the, the 2024 White Sox are not going to be very good. Now, Nicky Lopez had his press conference on Zoom, spoke with reporters, that he thinks anyone can win the American League Central. You know, keep that optimism for the 26 guys that are going to be in that clubhouse. Keep that positivity. Go out on the field and try your hardest, try your damnedest to win the American League Central. That'd be fun as hell. This ragtag team 
shocks everyone and wins the AL Central by going 79 and 83. <laughs> that might be the best case scenario for the White Sox in 2024. But if you're looking for long-term impact, there's just nothing there on the free agency level. And you mentioned Joey Ortiz. And I think we could transition here to what's possibly next for the White Sox. And if you listen to Monday's episode, Jim and I think a Dylan Cease trade is imminent. Bob Nightingale joined Chuck Garfine and Ryan McGuffey on the White Sox Talk Talk podcast for from NBC Sports Chicago. Nightingale gives it a 90% chance Dylan Cease is traded before opening day. And you got Ken Rosenthal on that new baseball show, Foul Territory, and he was asked to rank in order who is most likely to get traded between Corbin Burns, Tyler Glasnow, Shane Bieber, and Dylan Cease. And he put it in order, Glasnow, Cease, Bieber, Burns. And maybe you could have found your long-term shortstop or second baseman in a Dylan Cease trade. That is still possible. However, there have been conversations now for, what, a couple of weeks here? Maybe a week since the GM meetings before it ultimately got canceled because of the norovirus. But that doesn't stop GMs from talking. After all those conversations started at Scottsdale, Arizona, Jim, is it possible that Chris Getz is finding out that in whatever return that he can get for Dylan Cease, nobody is giving up their middle infield prospects. So the best that he could possibly do to address team needs in a Dylan Cease trade is outfield and starting pitching. Like that's kind of what I'm wondering here is that Getz is not getting a firm offer or getting anyone to wiggle one of these middle infielders, these top prospects loose at a Dylan Cease trade. And that's why he ultimately decided to sign Paul DeYoung because this is the best that he could do up the middle. Well, now I'm picturing GMs uh, texting on the toilet uh, because of the uh, they don't stop working even when the norovirus is uh, yeah, running rampant. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's let's all pause and marinate with that for a bit. No, it's, it's possible. That's why, like, I'm trying not to get too ahead of you know. It's tough covering the White Sox the way that we do, and like the way they often fulfill or. I guess exceed would be the word our worst case scenarios or like our, our most cynical take. And then, you know, they, they somehow manifest that and then some. So like, I always feel a little bit foolish for saying like, well, maybe it won't be this bad by the time, you know, like you always want to get that benefit of the doubt, especially the new GM. Um, so that's why, like, I feel myself bouncing back and forth between, well, it's still November Winter meetings haven't happened yet. Uh, the White Sox have a lot of holes to where, like, you know, they can make four or five additions and it can feel like they haven't done anything. So, like, this could be a shifting roster over the course of weeks. So, you know, I don't want to write these opinions down in pen or, you know, chisel them to stone and say, like, this is a disaster. But I think you do have to be on guard for it. And I think that's more or less how I'm approaching it is just like if the offseason ends now or if the offseason ends now in this particular area of the team, this area of the depth chart, then, uh, you know, I will be disappointed or I will be encouraged or whatnot. So that's kind of how I'm approaching it here. And, yeah, I think we'll have to see when the deadline or not the deadline when the off season comes and goes and we look at who moved, um, especially like if glass now gets traded, like that's a, probably a good comparison. Burns gets traded, like who went in those deals. And if 
the returns are pretty light or if Cease is the only pitcher dealt because like nobody else, yeah, maybe only one team is offering like that grade of package for that kind of player. And the other team said like, I'll wait for a new market at the uh, deadline. Then you can maybe understand that. Yeah. Just the, the top prospects were in short supply at this time of the year. So I am holding off and suspending judgment a little bit, but I think as White Sox fans and as people who have covered the White Sox, you just have to uh, kind of like Oscar Colas, uh, you know, him being the plan A, you just had to be like, well, I guess that was our idea all along. And like, that, that's why I think you always, you know, as, uh, you know, meatballish as it feels to be like, the sky is falling or this is, you know, this is a disaster. Like you do have to be always head on a swivel, ready for the outcome that, yeah, this was their best idea and they accomplished it in November. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In his pre-winter meetings press conference, Chris Getz could look in the Zoom camera and tell everyone that covers the White Sox, this has been a very proactive offseason for us. We have acquired two new starting pitchers and a new, new middle infield. We have already accomplished that before the winter meetings. Technically, that is true. They did that. Mike Soroka, Jared Schuster added to the starting rotation. Nicky Lopez and Paul Dion as your new middle infield. The White Sox have accomplished that. But what exactly have they accomplished with these moves? Uh, on paper right now, I, I think this is a 57 and 105 lost team. Like that's just that's just <laughs> how I feel. Like taking a step back from where they were in 2023 with their overall record. Like don't get me wrong, folks. I, I think right now with the with the additions the White Sox have made. They're like a 105 loss team right now. And I think they'll be one of the worst teams in baseball in 2024. I, I do like the uh, theory that Terezi proposed saying that the White Sox are trying to goose their season ticket numbers by signing players or trading for players who are uh, Chicagoland natives and thus have a lot of family that will want the tickets set aside for them. So basically like they're paying 
Paul DeYoung, 5.5 million or whatever you think it's going to be in, but like $30,000 of that money is going back into White Sox tickets for, uh, you know, good seats on hold for his, uh, uh, for his best friends and family. So yeah, I, I can buy that a little <laughs> bit if uh, this is the way it goes. Like it's uh, it's hard times for the ticket reps right now. So Got to figure something out. Yeah, maybe the next move is uh, the White Sox signing Sean Manaya because he's from Northwest Indiana, right? He's another Valpo guy, like uh, Shark Tank, like uh, Jeff Shavarja, or, or the Shark Cage. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> Jeff Shavarja. Yeah, that totally worked last time. Uh, mm. Maybe that would be the White Sox big starting pitching acquisition signing uh, Sean Manaya. No, uh, the the one idea that I have, though, the one thought is with the signing of Paul DeYoung and having Nicky Lopez as your starting second baseman, does this mean your big free agent signing prediction for the White Sox with Merrifield? Is that dead or is that still a possibility? And maybe right field <laughs> signing him for right field. I can't even say that with a straight face like that would be no, former Royals are never dead. <laughs> what is dead can never die. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Whitmer <laughs> the White Sox side Whitmerfield. He's the starting right fielder. I mean, just going around the horn. Corey Lee at catcher, Andrew Vaughn at first, Nicky Lopez at second, Paul Dion at short, Yoan Makata at third, Andrew Benatendi at left field, Luis Robert at center field, and Whitmerfield in right field. Like Damn, that challenges the 2018 team for one of the worst opening day lineups in, in at least in recent memory. I mean, that would be that would be really disheartening. But that would also be on par with the White Sox. And ultimately, you know, they can say whatever they want to say, but their actions are what ultimately matters. And right now, with the trade with Atlanta. Well, like we said, they got five $1 lottery scratch-off tickets, and they're hoping a couple of them cashes. And with signing Paul DeYoung, this is a stopgap solution to buy time for Colson Montgomery because they do not want to repeat the same mistake that they made last year in handing the job over to a young prospect thinking that they're ready to go on game one, like with Oscar Colas, and that have that completely flounder and raise a whole bunch of questions about even Colas's long-term Stay with the Chicago White Sox. Who knows? I mean, I don't think anyone should really seriously consider Colossus as the starting right fielder. So what do you think the next move is for the Chicago White Sox, Jim? Well, if they have, um, you know, middle infield set, which I think was the biggest issue, then I think it probably, I don't see free agency being a big help here. So it does seem like the trade market whether it's Cease, whether it's Eloy, whether it's, you know, I don't think Moncada can be traded alone. It'd have to be like a package deal with a lot of money being sent uh, some other way. But it does seem like trade might be the most, unless it's like some kind of minor deal for a reliever or something like that, which I'm not really counting, but they could use a proven bullpen arm here or there, like a non-tendered guy. Major move, it's, I would guess, a trade. Okay. You think the Dylan Cease trade could be next by the White Sox? Yeah, or Eloy could be could be both like um, just, you know, with the White Sox uh, uh, with Soroka coming in and Lopez coming in talking about like how there's going to be a new attitude or like how, you know, what the vision Chris gets trying to sell people on. Like that would be the next step, I think, in trying to overhaul the roster and beyond just change for change sake. Um, I think it would have to be that kind of fundamental trade for one previously, 
considered a foundational piece, I think would be on the way out. Okay. I I think the mid-tier starting pitching market is going to move quickly, and it kind of has so far the beginning of free agency here. And I could see if the White Sox are to spend any cash on a free agent starting pitcher, I think we may see it in the next week or two. Like, And I joke, and I say Sean Manaya. But it's probably going to be someone like Sean Manaya that they signed to like two years, $24 million to yeah, be part of the White Sox about, rotation. Yeah, the one thing about Manaya, and I've thought about him before, is just like Bannister worked with him last year. So I wonder if he just might look at him and say like, ah, I don't like this guy. Yeah, that could be like, the case, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, we tried and just couldn't figure it out. So, And uh, it does bring in the old friends. So we'll end this episode here and let everyone go so you can get ready for Thanksgiving and, of course, Black Friday shopping. Uh, old friends, Ronaldo Lopez and Lance Lynn finding new homes. Ronaldo Lopez signed a three-year, $30 million contract with the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves might try to stretch out Lopez to be a starter in the back end of the rotation, which is curious. And Lance Lynn signing with the St. Louis Cardinals along with Kyle Gibson. I guess that's the Cardinals' approach here. I thought they were going to spend serious cash on top-tier starting pitching, Jim. But no, they're trying to assemble... The oldest starting pitching rotation of Major League Baseball. And I wonder if Rich Hill is next for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Um, I, I saw that from the Cardinals uh, writers uh, wondering, like, is this it for the rotation? Like, you know, bringing in Lance Lynn to be I like a back end starter. Like they needed help up top and uh, basically throughout the rotation. So like bringing in Lynn to start was like, OK, kind of get it. He provides innings. There is a connection there. You know, he's got some interesting fundamentals under his, you know, Homer prone approach to where like, hey, he can still miss some bats sometimes, uh, pounds a strike zone. Maybe there's a functioning pitcher here, just needs some work. But then to double down, kind of like uh, along the lines of getting Lopez and then DeYoung, like doubling down on like an, a pair of pitchers without a whole ton of upside would seem to be troubling if there isn't that Jordan Montgomery or the, you know, Aaron Nola signed or Blake Snell, yeah. whoever's, um, yeah, they, they might've had designs on earlier in the winter. So there's that, uh, Reynaldo one good for him, uh, three years and 30 million. Yeah. Um, that number surprised me initially, uh, just because like I'm used to him getting paid like three to 4 million. Like that's kind of what he made through arbitration at a slow, trajectory in his arb years because of just the starting pitching thing not working out. But when thinking about a little bit more, like he's had two years of being a good reliever, um, the White Sox, I'm not sure if you could say they mismanaged him, Pedro Grifol mismanaged him, tried an experiment with him that didn't work, which was like, you are our high leverage guy. You are our fireman. Every time you're out, you're facing the middle of the order, whether it's in the seventh inning or the ninth inning. And like even top tier closers don't face that kind of workload. Top tier closers always get the ninth, but based on like the average amount of batters faced, which is like 37 a game, oftentimes that's like eight, nine, one for a closer in the ninth inning. So uh, like closers might get paid the most and they might get the, the highest leverage innings in terms of narrow leads and such, but they're often facing the weakest competition. Whereas Lopez had that leverage, but also the strongest competition. And so like, Every other outing, or like maybe one out of three, was just a, a dreadful one. And he 
put himself in a big hole one month in and eventually climbed out of it. Like he was very good after the trade, after like the, the trades, I suppose, because he went to uh, two teams. Um, so like throwing his year before and five of the six months this season, and that's basically like Kendall Graveman's track record. And the White Sox gave Kendall Graveman three years and 24 million. And they found a taker at the trade deadline halfway through. So like adjust for inflation after two years, three for 30 million, not all that unreasonable for somebody with Lopez's track record. If they can stretch him out, which I'm skeptical of, um, you know, so much the better. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if he's just a good seventh inning reliever, um, the Braves basically have their entire lineup set. So they're at the point of like, how do we spend money relievers, I guess. So like, that's where the white Sox got it wrong was like, what do you need? Second baseman, right fielder, another starting pitcher. Let's just keep adding relievers. Like the Braves have pretty much all that set. They could use another <laughs> starter, but otherwise like yeah. may as well add relievers because we have nothing else to spend money on. Must be nice. <laughs> well, with, with Lopez now in Atlanta, I guess that means Lucas Giolito, right? Is signed with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I mean, uh, I want that to happen just because it's adorable. I mean, he would have his friend Max Fried there, mm-hmm. depending on what kind of contract. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be kind of funny if that does come to fruition. But as we said in our previous podcast episode, the Dodgers are also talking to Lucas Giolito. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see where all the old friends end up signing. But yeah, Ronaldo Lopez to Atlanta Braves, Lance Lynn to the St. Louis Cardinals. We're all waiting to see what's next for the Chicago White Sox. But so far, after the trade with the Atlanta Braves and signing Paul DeYoung, technically speaking, the White Sox have their new middle infield and they added two new starting pitchers to the rotation, Mike Soroka and Jared Schuster. So we'll wonder what's next, but we all... Want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful weekend shopping online and spending time with your family. Jim and I will be back next Monday with the new podcast episode to recap all the news and happenings that happened over the weekend. It's going to be pretty busy, I think, on the MLB front all the way up to the winter meetings in Nashville in early December. And, of course, we are very thankful for you guys for continuing to listen to us and help support us on SoxMachine.com, and especially for our Patreon supporters at Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can view those at YouTube.com slash SoxMachine. If you do watch our videos on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. We greatly appreciate that. You can also follow us on social media on all the platforms at Sox Machine, and you can follow me there as well at Sox Machine underscore Josh. For our Patreon supporters, if you are not a Patreon supporter, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine, where monthly plans start at $2, and you get exclusive content and all the additional perks as well. But for our Patreon supporters, again, Jim needs a headcount for our upcoming curling event in February, so this is the first time you're hearing about it. Go to patreon.com slash machine and complete that form. And do you have a deadline, Jim, when you need those responses? Uh, probably by next Monday, I'm going to be formulating a plan just based on the numbers we got. Got it. So do that over the weekend if you haven't already. And if you are interested, let Jim know by using the form on patreon.com slash machine. And for those that are going to be signing up, you can sign up for as low as $2 a month or save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. 
Thanks for listening and watching and have a great Thanksgiving.